Well, thank you so much uh, for having me this morning. I, I just got to tell you, you all have an awesome team. They are cool, are they not? They are. They are. And uh, my wife and I, my wife's named Deborah. We live here in the woodlands out uh, towards the back. If you know where the Colson Tough Elementary School is, we live like right by there. So um, that's, that's what we do. We have Deborah and I, we have two kids. One daughter who's 19 years old, which that just breaks my heart to say, 19. Uh, sophomore at college, Mary Harden Baylor, good Baptist school, so I write large checks to the Baptist church and feel good about it. I'm working on that. I have a son at the Woodlands High School. His name's Noah. He's a sophomore. So uh, my morning routine, actually, is uh, we get up really early. We drive by Research Forest, which they've just bombed that, haven't they? I mean, wow, what a disaster that road has been. But it's all for progress, I guess. So we drive down Research Forest to the Woodlands High School. Usually before the sun comes up, I round the corner, make a U-turn to go back to the Woodlands, and I drive by Celebration Church. And I pray for you. Uh, because we have a little bit of a connection. Uh, your pastor, Pastor Frankie, I've known for many years. And, you know, as soon as he comes out of his shell a little bit, I think the Lord could use him in a powerful way. You know, if he just wasn't such an introvert. And uh, Sarah Stevens, though I have to say is probably my closest connection to you guys, and that Sarah ha has been a friend for a long time. And uh, I knew her when she worked for Congressman Brady's office, and she was kind of wrestling with a call to, to ministry, which you all opened the door here for her. And, and, uh, and, and she would, when she was making that decision, she would call me and say, Andy, let's have a, let's, let's go to Brooklyn bagel and have breakfast, which in Sarah code means like the Holy Spirit's doing something and I need to talk to you about it. So I'm like, okay. So we would show up unbelievably early. I don't know why God has to move so early in the morning sometimes. Oh my gosh. You know, and so we would have breakfast and she would say, the Holy Spirit's doing this in my life. And she would tell me about her and her family and how she was feeling called just to be a part of the church in a, in a greater way. And, and so she would talk to me about that and I would listen and she would say, what do you think? And I've always thought it's such a privilege when somebody just shares with you very honestly what Jesus is doing in them, you know? What a, what a privilege. That's, that's sacred stuff. And, and so I'd say, Sarah, it's, you know, it sounds like you're really wrestling with a call, and, you know, I'm going to pray for you, and we'd pray. And, and uh, then she'd tell me about her family and stuff, and some of them were here this morning, so it was super to see them at the first service. And, and then, but then she would, like great friends do, she would return the favor, and she'd say, Andy, what's going on with you? So I'd say, you know, we're wrestling with this or wrestling with that. And she would say, well, it sounds like this to me, and ask questions. And, you know, I, I would do that probably four or five times a year. And so it, it's, just, it's just been kind of, kind of a running joke when Sarah sends me a Facebook message or she'll text me. It's like, we need to have a bagel. That's code speak for the Holy Spirit's doing something. And so it's like, okay. So, so we go. So I've always just, just felt a, a great love for the people in your church and we've worshiped with you. And I, I do want to tell you this because sometimes church is a little like family. You know, like, like when you're in it, you can't really see it for what it is. Have you noticed this? Like sometimes I say like all families have one thing in common. They're crazy, you know, and it's, because you're in the family, and so it's just kind of, you know, you can't really see it for what it is sometimes. And church is a little bit like that. And, and you all, 
And I mean this very, very genuinely because I've, I've, I've been in worship, I think, in every church in the Woodlands, and I usually know people on their staff. You all are the most hospitable, friendly church to, to, to new folks. No doubt, you all are. You all have seized that gift of hospitality, and you use it so well. Um, every time we've worshipped here, you all have welcomed us, shown us where things are. And even this morning, I walk in, you know, a little before everybody else, and and uh, and and meet somebody, and they say, "Who are you?" And it's like, "Well, I'm giving the message." And she took my hand, she held my hand, she walked me backstage so I could meet everybody, and she held my hand as I made a cup of coffee. And so, and she said, "Are you okay?" I said, "Yes." And so. Either you all think I have, you know, some really eccentric needs, uh, or you love people really well, and I think it's the latter. So give yourselves a hand for being a very hospitable church. It's very real. It is. So anyway, so it's a real thrill for me to be here, and thank you so much, and we'll talk a little bit further. But before we do much else, I'd like to kind of launch into God's Word, uh, just because Jesus always has something to say to us. Amen? And um, as I was praying about it this week, and kind of knowing I'd be with you all, um, the scripture that came to my mind is, is what our Bibles usually call the, the parable of the persistent widow. And I'd like to just kind of dive into this story with you. So we're in Luke 18, if you want to read along, but uh, you can always listen. But this is a story Jesus told, and as I've thought about it over the years of following him, uh, I just find it has more and more to say. So let's, uh, let's look. Luke 18, we'll start verse 1. Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them they should always pray and not give up. He said, In a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared about men. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, Grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused But finally, he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care about men, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually wear me out with her coming. Let's stop it there. Every time I read this story, I don't like the judge. Do you? Jesus tells us he feared God, or did not fear God, feared neither God nor men. What an arrogant punk. Do you like him? I don't like him. I instantly don't like him. The judge feared neither God nor folks. And then as Jesus unfolds the story, he does the right thing. And that he wants to grant the request of the widow. We really don't know what it is. Because Jesus, I think, was always intentionally vague because he wanted us to kind of enter into the story, you know? And so, you know, he does the right thing in that he'll relent and do what the widow wants. But he does it for the wrong reason. He doesn't do it because he loves God. He doesn't do it it because he loves God people. He doesn't do it. Jesus doesn't tell us that he does it because he has sympathy for her even. He just does it so that she will go away. And that kind of makes him a double jerk, in my opinion. You know, he doesn't love God. He doesn't love folks. And he does the right thing, but he doesn't do it for the right reason. 
You know, this is like giving your spouse a birthday gift and saying, here, society says that I should do this. Happy birthday. You know where that would get me in my marriage? Uh, you know where you get you in my marriage, right? It's the couch, the doghouse, the outhouse, whatever it is in our backyard these days. You know, it's, it's, just, it's, it's, it's just not enough. And so we leave the story kind of empty. The other thing we notice in the story is that here you've got this judge who's got all this power. And this widow who has none. And so she's coming to the judge because she needs the judge to do something that's righteous, or at least she thinks so. But it's unknown as to whether the judge is going to do it. And I kind of think in a strange way, Jesus is setting this up because he, he would do this in a lot of his stories. He would, he would have huge contrasts. Here you have this judge that's up there that can do everything and this widow who has no power as far as the world's concerned. And now they're having an interaction. Jesus would tell stories like this all the time. There's this sheep that's vulnerable. It's lost. There's just one of them. There's 99 somewhere else. They're safe. But there's one that's lost. And then there's this shepherd who can do something about it. What's going to happen and Jesus will say the good shepherd is the one who's going to go get that one and bring them back. And I think in the back of Jesus' mind as he tells the story, he's saying, you know, the good judge, the good judge would find out what's going on. The good judge would, would find out what she needs or what this injustice is that's been done. But in this story, at least, this parable, Jesus doesn't say that. There's this woman who needs something to, someone to do something for her because it's right and she doesn't have the power to do it. So she needs the judge. But the judge also needs her because the way Jesus is telling the story, this judge has no idea what's right. He's arrogant. He doesn't fear God. He has no love of neighbor. And so in a strange sort of way, they need each other. This widow needs the judge to do what's right for her because she can't do it for herself. But this judge also has no moral compass and does not know what's right, and the widow does. So Jesus kind of sets this up and how this is going to work out. And as he tells the story, he's, he's going to make it a story about persistence in that as followers of Jesus, one of the things we are going to have to do is to never give up. Never, ever give up. Never cease to pray. Never stop believing. Our God, unlike this judge, is eager to give our requests, right? This is a loving God who does love us. And so how much more, Jesus says, is God willing to give on us if we, like the widow, will just persist? So let's talk about, let's talk about persistence. You don't need persistence when people instantly see it your way, do you? Any of y'all ever got a traffic ticket? You know, I, I find in driving, there's like, are in, with police sometimes, there are law enforcement people who are Pharisees, like 45 miles an hour is 45 miles an hour kind of thing. And then there's a grace-filled interpretation of the speed limit where 45 miles an hour is 50 miles an hour. It's close. It's close on the dial. And, but when the officer pulls me over... I find they're usually not grace-filled, you know. You were going 55 in a 45. 
You know, I've tried a few times when I've been pulled over, and it hasn't been recently. Thank you. You know, I've tried a few times in my life when I was younger to talk my way out of it. It's like, well, 55 is close to 45, isn't it? Don't you feel a little graceful interpretation of the law that we're talking about as we drive our cars? I found that law enforcement officials don't want to do that, and I usually end up with the ticket. I remember the first ticket I got. I was 16 years old. I was going 44 and a 30. And I ended up in the courtroom of a guy, a judge in Dallas, Texas, and his name was Judge Loving, which I found highly ironic, and I think Jesus did too. And I had gotten a ticket for speeding, and I had tried to talk my way out of it once and gotten the ticket with the officer who gave it to me, and now I'm in the courtroom, and I'm, I'm 16 years old, and I'm with my dad, and this is my first traffic ticket, and I've got my story right? I'm ready to plead my case. You know, I was on my way home. I, the dog ate my homework. I, you know, I had, I'm all ready to go as far as why I needed a grace-filled interpretation of this. And so it comes time for my case. I'm standing next to my dad in front of Judge Loving, and I, and, and, and I'm, I'm, I don't even wait to be asked. I'm about to launch into my story about what I think, you know, he ought to do for me and let me off. And before I even utter a syllable, you know what he does? He takes the gavel, bam, guilty, go to defensive driving. He looks at me, and then he looks, and it, and, and it just, I remember his stare. And he said, I never, ever want to see you in my courtroom again. Boom. And I said, this is Judge Loving? Really? That's not right, Judge Loving didn't even listen to what I had to say. And so, and then I turned around and said, my father, or looked at my father, and I was about to say, can you believe that? And, and he, my dad didn't even give me a chance to talk, and he said, that was awesome. We never want to see you here again. And we went home. So, you know, here's the deal. When we're asked to persist, or when we're making a petition when we want somebody to do something for us that we believe we need, we have to be very careful in that we want to discern that what we're asking for is right. Right? So that's kind of step one. The widow, we believe, has done that. And then the question becomes, if we don't get what we're praying for the first time, Jesus is saying to us, don't give up. Don't give up. Stay the course. Keep praying keep asking because if it's right, what you're praying for will happen. Persist. And if I were to ask you, and you know, as I think about my life, um, I imagine there's something in some way in each of our lives where we need to persist. We haven't caught, you know, quite got what we're asking for. And Jesus' word to us is stay strong. Persist. And the Holy Spirit will show the way. Well, as, as, uh, as I was introduced, it's, you know, one of the things I do is um, I am development director for Children's Safe Harbor up in Conroe, which is a nonprofit. And uh, you may or may not know it, but what we do at Children's Safe Harbor is when there is a crime against a child of a violent or usually sexually violent nature, um, Children's Safe Harbor is, we do two things. We take in the kid to hear their story. We interview them. 
with law enforcement and other counseling folks and people there to help the child medically, whatever. We interview the child to hear from their point of view what has happened. That's kind of step one. And then step two is we make for free available counseling, medical help, whatever is necessary in order to begin the healing process for that child and they can stay with us as long as it takes. Um, The average kid who's with us is seven years old, just to let you know. Uh, About 65% of them are little girls. The other 35 are boys. And they are usually with us for about 10 months. To kind of let you know, because I find most folks um, just don't. Um, Last October, or last month, October, um, we saw 116 new kids for the first time. So we'll see about 1,300 to 1,400 children just on an ongoing basis um, of kids who have had some act of violence committed against them. About 97% of our kids are telling the truth. That's kind of how it breaks down. And the stories that they tell are horrible. There's an extraordinary amount of violence in our county against our children. It's phenomenal. And again, whatever your worst story you can imagine, and some of you I know will have experienced it, I want to be very sensitive to that. But there's an unbelievable amount of violence against our children. And it's, it's everything that you could imagine it being and more as far as it's evil. These are the most vulnerable among us who have had the most horrible happen almost always by someone that they've been taught or told to love and trust. Very rarely is it the predator or the stranger who is the offender. 95% plus of the time, these children are hurt by someone they know. Now, part of the reason I, I tell you that and just share that is just we would covet your prayers at Children's Safe Harbor. It's one of those places that I describe, and sometimes I talk at civic groups so I can't quite speak as a as a Christian, as, to the extent that I'd like, it's one of those places where good and evil are having it out. That's what it is. The angels and the demons go at it every single day at Children's Safe Harbor. Satan is after our kids to swipe, destroy, unleash any amount of chaos and evil you could ever imagine. And there are some of us who are there called to bring the forces of light into that darkness and save that kid. And we go out that every single day. At Children's Safe Harbor, I feel like often, uh, if you don't know me, in the first half of my life, I was a United Methodist pastor, and then God saved me from that, and now I'm doing this. Anyway, joke, that's a joke, that's a joke. But um, it, Children's Safe Harbor is one of those places where I feel like, you know, it's, just, it's, 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 it's the battleground. Good and evil, having it out. And I felt that way about um, think places like Texas Children's Hospital. You know, when you're walking the, the, the halls of Texas Children's Hospital, you know, uh, it's, it's horrible that these children are having to suffer these diseases. It's awful. It's just diabolical. But thank God this place is there to help save these kids, you know? Thank God. Children's Safe Harbor is a place like that. I felt that way in prisons. You know, good and evil just having it out. And... and and, um, and we're a place like that. Sometimes people come to me and say, you know, Andy, how can you do that every day? Knowing that the stories you're going to hear, knowing the evil that you're going to see, you know, how can you do that every day? And, and I kind of lately, I've been turning it around to say, 
how could you not? When, when you know that evil like this is in our town, and it is, how could you not? And so, you know, as I was talking to Sarah about coming here, and she didn't tell me anything I couldn't say, you know. So, you know, I would just ask you to pray for us, but we would love for some of you maybe to come and take a tour of what we do. Because we're a search and rescue operation for kids, and one of the things we're short on is relationships with churches. Because one of the things I know, just as having worked as a pastor, is at some point we're going to have to hand these families off. And it's, it's sort of against the rules for me to, to win them to Jesus. I can't do that. But what I can do is open doors. And there's only about six or seven churches that really work with us at Children's Safe Harbor. We would love to have some more. So maybe just pray about that, and, and if the Lord leads you somewhere, or if you know somebody, we'd love to talk to you about that, that mission of just saving our kids. Because there is, there's a phenomenal amount of violence occurring against our children, and everything we see says it's going to increase. Our county is growing. There are, let's see, as of January 1, what, there'll be seven full-time detectives that all they do is investigate crimes against kids. We have an, oh, it's called ICAC, Internet Crimes Against Children, that has four full-time employees, and all they do all day long is hunt for predators online who are after our children. It's phenomenal, the evil that's out there. So again, at the very least, pray for us. But if you'd like to come and meet us and talk to us, if we could help, or you could help us in some way, that's one of the places in our town where good and evil are having it out. So like you, you know, what I try to do is... is um, you know, just listen for the Holy Spirit in that and say, Lord, how can you grant us a victory? How can you help us help this kid? How can you help us find, you know, the resources to, to, to meet the needs that are there? And, and Jesus is just all over this place. You know, it's, 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 it's just so touching. I remember one day, and I was at my office at Children's Safe Harbor, and, and Jesus kind of pokes me or nudges me and says, get out of your office. And I was like, I don't want to get out of my office. You know, it's like, everything's fine. And then he said again, he said, get out of your office. And I said, okay. So I go out of my office, and there's this little four-year-old girl. And because of who she was, I knew why she was there. I knew the, the backstory. And, uh, and Jesus said, go, go, uh, go, go visit with her. So I sit down, she's four, and I, play, I show her some stickers. She didn't want to play with those. And, and then I showed her a coloring book and crayons, and she didn't want to play with those. It's like, you remind me of my kids, you know. And then, uh, then I saw, and I don't know if I should have done this, but I saw a lollipop close by, which I'm convinced Jesus put there. So I reached out, I grabbed it, unwrapped it, and I didn't say anything, I just handed it to her. And she, all of a sudden, smiled, you know? And then, in that moment, time just kind of froze a little bit. And, 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 and again, I don't know if it's my thoughts or, or Jesus just talking to me. He said, how long do you think it's been since that little girl smiled like that? And then she took the sucker, sucker and stuck it in her face and, you know, she was a kid. But... There are moments like that I think Jesus is leading us to. And in stories like that, I'm reminded of the parable of the persistent widow. Here's this little girl who's had something horrible happen. What in the name of God are we going to do to fix that? And the answer is, we're going to persist. Because there's quite a bit that can be done. And we can't give up. We can't get discouraged. We can't let evil have the last say. We have to keep going, doing what we're doing, and fighting the good fight. We have to persist. Because as soon as we give up, this little girl could be lost. 
And so we have to keep going. It's not an option. Can't quit, can't get discouraged, can't cry. Well, you can cry, but get back at it. Because all of a sudden, yes, you've got to get the work done and you've got to love on these kids who've had the horrible, you know, again, I can't say this everywhere, but the horrible experience of just being hugged by evil, you know? And Lord, we can't let that happen. And so that's the kind of things we do at Children's Safe Harbor. And it's why the virtue of persistence, I think, needs to be such the Christian one. And it's why Jesus taught us. You have your own things that are going on just like I have mine. We can't give up because we have to remember our God is one that wants to give us the victory. It doesn't always happen the exact instant we hope for it. But if we keep going, our God will give and we will win. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I find that, you know, when you talk about sexual violence against kids, it's really hard to do that in an entertaining way, you know? It's kind of like, like, it's like, it's like such a serious topic and it's like kind of a downer. And, so, and I'm kind of an upbeat kind of person. It's really hard to talk about that. But this virtue of persistence just matters. And if you, if you see it, you, you understand why it's, it's such a thing. One of the things that I've been doing, another thing I do is, is my wife and I, we have a nonprofit. It's called Rock the Word. And what we do is we help Christian organizations try to take their next step. The Lord's calling them to do something, but they need sort of some extra firepower, some organization, some resources, uh, a little, little bit of help in order to kind of take that next step. And one of the things we've been, or one of the groups we've been working with is an orphanage in Guatemala called Casa Alleluia. It's actually not far from an orphanage that you all work with. So we're like kindred spirits down in Guatemala, just down the highway. So next time you're down there, say hey, and I'll say hey, and uh, maybe one day we'll compare notes about what Jesus is doing, because you're doing good work down there, as I pray we are too. And, and so this, this virtue of persistence, though, matters in the mission field, and it all started, there's this, this orphanage, Casa Alleluia. It's, again, it's in Guatemala. It's just outside of Antigua. And uh, I was talking to the founder of it a few weeks ago named Mike Clark. And Mike and Dottie Clark are these Louisiana Cajuns, you know. And they were called by God in the most amazing way to come down and rescue kids, establishing this orphanage called Casa Alleluia. And they currently house about 475 kids. And they've been around for 25 years. And it's just amazing. Other than the fact that he's an LSU fan, this guy's just about perfect. I mean, you know... It's like, it's okay, it's okay, but God is doing amazing things through him. And every time I talk to Mike or Dottie Clark, it's like reading the, the book of Acts part two, because it's like, this is the scripture that God's writing today. It is just awesome what these guys do in the lives of rescuing kids. So I'm talking to him the other day, and I said, Mike, tell me what's going on. And he said, he said you know, Andy, we're starting to see, because of some decisions the Guatemalan government has made, all these kids with huge medical needs. He said, mainly kidney failure. It's like we're getting five, six, seven-year-old kids who are having massive kidney failure. And all of a sudden, because there's no state help, these, these parents are just giving the kids to the orphanage. And it's just heartbreaking. He said, he said, we're doing what we can. He said, but Andy, the ministry, is, as, as we currently have it, is the, the basic thing we can say is that we are going to love you. We're going to care on you. You are going to know Jesus, and you're not going to die alone. That's, he said, but that's all we can do. And he said, I'm just wondering if there's something more that, that, that might, you know, God, God is calling us to through these kids. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. 
So we start talking. He said, well, you know, there's this piece of property that we could get, and we want to build a small medical clinic. And he said, that's going to cost us. And then he told me the number, we think. And he said, but we're just blue-collar folks. We're just, we're just a bunch of Cajuns, you know. And he said, you know, we're not deep pockets. And, and so I, he said, I just don't know how Jesus is going to get this done. And, and, uh, and so all of a sudden, as soon as he said that, I felt this nudge. And it's like the Holy Spirit said, Andy, why don't you help him? And I'm like, I don't know. It's like, I don't know how I'm going to raise that kind of money for an orphanage. And then Jesus said, do you believe in the resurrection of the dead? And I said, yes. And he said, well, if I could pull that off, I could probably pull something off in this orphanage too. Why don't you start being a, you know, a disciple instead of being a goofball? It's like, oh, Jesus, you make me so mad. I love you, buddy. But man, you make me angry. Okay. So, so we start talking and we start praying. And we find, we, we, we find a list of, of Christians who have been to Casa Alleluia on mission trips. And we invite them to this person's home. And, and there turns out to be about 75 of us. And we invite Mike up. We bring him up. We tell the story. All that costs us about $4,000 to do. We tell the story. We have 75 people there. And, and we say, we need about $250,000 to start this thing. You know, because medical equipment is expensive and it's tough. And we pass out cards that night. We pray. Mike tells a story working with kids. A week later, I talk, I'm talking to Mike and I said, Mike, what's up? And he said, Andy, we've never had this happen. But he said, we have about $750,000 that has come into our orphanage. And we're going to start construction this week. And I'm like... He goes, it's the most amazing thing ever. He said, did you know that was going to happen? And I said, oh, yeah, of course. I never doubted, you know. I was right there, trusting Jesus, me and the Lord. Yeah, no. It's like the Holy Spirit did its thing. The other day, another story. Actually, yesterday, when I was down in Guatemala, I was down at the Casa Alleluia, the orphanage, but I also took the chance to meet a uh, a missionary couple down there named Dwayne and Leslie Ficker, who your church also knows because, like, uh, I know Sarah Stevens, when she was down in Guatemala at the orphanage you all work with, her pilot was Dwayne Ficker, okay? So, um, anyway, so Sarah and I have actually sat in the same plane, and plane is a very generous word for it. It's more like an aluminum can that somehow flies in the sky, you know? I've never been in a plane with crank-up windows. It's like, oh my gosh, this is a religious experience, you know? Wow. I don't like to fly, but I really don't like to fly in, in really small, like, mosquito-like airplanes. Okay. But Jesus uses these things. We were safe and fine. Dwayne Ficker was the pilot for Sarah. He was the pilot for us. It, it may sound extravagant to say, why are you flying around the jungle on these mission trips? And the reason is, is because it takes you 25 minutes to get there when you, when you fly in a little airplane versus seven hours on the roads that are there. So it's just kind of one of those things you do. Um, and this is not first class, mind you. I, I remember it's like I was sitting in the second row, which would also be the last row of this airplane. And I, I'm, I'm literally, I'm literally, I've got my knees in my chest, okay? I've got headphones on so I can hear Dwayne as the pilot. And I'm pushing against the luggage in the seat next to me so it doesn't crush me out of the plane. So this is, this is not, this is not, we're not living, you know, high on the mission dollar here. So, so I'm visiting with Dwayne. And, and, and so I'm, I'm working with him for a few days, and, and I say, Dwayne, tell me a problem that you have. And this, this has been something I've learned. If you want to discover where the Holy Spirit is, 
Ask people where they're hurting. What are they struggling with? Where's their problem? What do they need? If you do that, you're going to be pretty close to where somewhere God is moving. And so I asked, asked Dwayne, I said, what's, what's something going on? What's a problem you can't solve? What, give me, give me, a, give me a, a glimpse. He says, well, Andy, we got, this, we got this plane that's been donated to us. And I'm like, Dwayne, how is that a problem? You have a plane, a plane that somebody donated to you. And he goes, well, it's got a problem. It's in El Paso. And for us to fly it, like really fly it, we need to overhaul one of the engines. And, um, and, and, I, and I said, okay, how much does that cost? And he goes, uh, between thirty dollars and $40,000. I'm like, well, an engine that like costs far more than my car. How about that? And, uh, and, I, and I said, okay. I said, so somebody gave you this plane, but they wouldn't fix the engine. And he said, no. And he, I, I could tell this. I've seen this, and I, I could say this, but Dwayne couldn't. But it reminds me of the judge in the parable story. Some, sometimes people are generous, but they kind of do it in a jerk way. Like, I'm going to give you this $200,000 aircraft, but I'm not going to fix the engine. And that's kind of what happened here. This guy did a nice thing, but he didn't really give Dwayne a resource that he could use. So there's going to have to be some way, other way to fix the engine. He goes, so for us, he said, I'd really love to use it. It's been given to us, but it's sitting in this hangar in El Paso and we're paying rent on the hangar and we just have no means to get this fixed. And so he's telling me the story and I kind of feel this nudge of the Holy Spirit doing his thing. I'm like, oh no, no. And Jesus says, why don't you help him with that? And it's like, Jesus, I don't know anything about airplanes other than I don't like them. You know, it's like, there are no airplanes in heaven. I'm convinced nobody flies anywhere. We all walk. It's fine. And, you know, and so he's like, why don't you help? And it's like, no, I don't know. I don't know anything about this. And then Jesus kind of thumps me. Bang. He says, you're helping him. I said, okay, fine. So this is about three weeks ago. Last week I get a call. And I get a call from a guy who I know, but I don't know well. And his name is Drew. And he said, he said, Jesus wants you, me, and my 10-year-old daughter to have lunch in the woodlands. I'm like, okay. So yesterday, we go down to, what's it called? It's across from Tinseltown. It's the cheese something. What is it? The cheese course. That's what it is. The cheese course. I don't know why they called it that. Cheese course. Because it's really the whole meal, really, is what it is. But I'm not going to quibble. The cheese course. So we go and we're having... You know, this is a very Woodlands thing. I call the Woodlands the land of champagne and cupcakes where everything is pretty and perfect and a lie. And and so I'm I'm eating this mushroom and brie soup. Very Woodlands-y. And so we're talking. And so as we're talking, I'm listening to Drew and I'm getting to know him and his daughter. She's awesome. And uh, just kind of talking. And and, uh, and then then all of a sudden this voice goes off inside my head. And it's... And it's like, Andy, do you know the group of Harley riders that help people? They're, they're Christians and they help folks. And I thought, that's a strange thought to be having over lunch. And it's like, yes, Jesus, I know. And because we have a group like this at Children's Safe Harbor. They're these Harley guys who uh, are Christians and they throw a Christmas party for our kids. It's kind of cool. They have a Harley Santa and anyway, kind of fun. But it's very generous what they do. They do it all for free. They, they set up, they clean up, they donate everything, and they show our kids a great time. It is, it's really fantastic. So Jesus said, do you know, you know those Harley guys? And I was like, yeah. He said, why don't you ask Drew if there are pilots who kind of organize that way and do good things? I'm like, 
Jesus, that's an awesome idea. And he said, I know. Why don't you now let those words come out of your mouth? It's like, you're such a jerk, you know? Okay, so I asked, I said, Drew, this is a crazy question, but are there pilots who get together and like make good things happen, just kind of Christians who are pilots? And he looks at me and he said, yeah. And he said, in fact, I'm a member of a couple of groups. I said, huh. And I said, do they raise money for things? Because I, I got this problem. And I tell them the story about Dwayne and this medical mission, this Christian group that they're a part of. And they got this plane that they know how to use. And he looks at me and goes, Andy, that's the kind of thing I love to do. Is there any way that you could talk to the Fickers and see if I could help them through some other pilots and aviation connections? Because he's an aviation attorney. I didn't even know these things existed, but that he is. And, I asked him what he did, and it's like, is this like divorce in the sky or something? You know, it's like, that what it is? No. no. He said, we help people buy airplanes, that sort of thing. He said, oh, okay. And he said, but I'm a member of these couples of groups, and he said, we do this all the time. In fact, we're looking for something to do. And then he looked at me across lunch and said, is there any way you would let me take the lead on this? It's like, well, I guess so. You know, and then... And then I tell him the rest of the story, but it's like, you know, it's, it's I, I, let me say it this way. I, I know that sometimes we struggle to feel the Holy Spirit. And I know that sometimes it feels distant, even though we know as Christians it's so close, right here, just right here. But here's the story that this scripture teaches me and that I guess I experience from time to time. Sometimes the way to feel the Holy Spirit is simply to persist. Keep going. And you may look at something and say, I haven't got a clue (laughs) as to how this is going to get done. How in the world are we going to fix an airplane engine that's in El Paso for a ministry that's in Guatemala? And the answer is, the Holy Spirit's already got it, is working on it. And Andy, as soon as you get with the plan, it's going to be amazing to watch the kingdom grow. Jesus has got this. It doesn't mean we'll always feel it from time to time in such an easy and direct way. But if we persist, we will. Because the thing is, you know, when Jesus is telling this parable about the persistent widow, eventually the judge does say, or Jesus tells the story in such a way, that the judge is going to give her what she's asking for, even if it's just to make her go away. Like, that judge has come to work so many days, oh my gosh, there she is again. What would it take to get rid of her? Do what she wants. Okay, so the judge does that. But Jesus flips it around and say, you know, your God is not like this. Your God loves you. Your God wants good things to happen. Your God wants blessings and power to be felt. Your God wants to heal. Your God wants to give. This is the kind of God we have, Jesus is telling us. And if we keep going, as long as we persist, when challenges or obstacles get in our way, we will feel and know that love in the most powerful way. It's unbelievable when we see it. And what I find is, you know, occasionally I'll get this ridiculous idea, like fix an airplane engine. And I go, there's no way. And I think Jesus just kind of chuckles, you know, really? There's no way? No way? No way? There is a way. And let's begin to find it. And then the Holy Spirit moves and a friend of mine, they give me a phone call, we have lunch, and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit's moving. 
we will see. So I don't know how that's going to end up, but I tell you what, I think I do. I think we're going to get it. I think we're going to fix that engine. I think we're going to get it down to the Fickers to help them in their clinic, their witness for Christ. And then what happens from there will be stunning. I can't wait to hear. I know it's a struggle though, because persistence, you know, it's kind of like, there's two ways to view it. It's like when you're having to persist, it means that things aren't going well. One of the things I try to do is I try to run a few times a week. And there's always a point in a run where you want to quit, especially when it's uphill. You know, you go uphill, you're running uphill. It's like, why am I doing this? And part of my brain says, I don't know. Stop. You know, this is ridiculous. Walk. It's so much easier. But then there's that other voice inside you who says, no, if I struggle through, if I get over the hill, then it'll be easier and I'll be grateful that I endured. That's a small example, but you know, I just believe Jesus works that way. If for no other reason, he knew that we would have to fight sin and evil along the way. All the good that we try to do is going to be resisted. Everything good that we accomplished will be accomplished because A, Jesus blessed it, and B, we persisted to see it through. It takes both. The more and more we do this, though, I think, I hope, I pray, the easier that it gets. And we got a few minutes left, and it's really a dreary day outside, isn't it? I mean, it's, it's rainy, it's cloudy, it's gloomy, and in the Methodist church, man, nobody would show on a day like that because, you know, we're fair weather Christians. You all are the real deal here, so I'm grateful for your example. It's encouraging. I do see a few J.J. Watt jerseys around the room. I'm praying for you. The Dallas Cowboys are the best team in the Texas. So. And if I, if I don't preach too long, we all might get to see their game, right? So it's like, yeah, yeah. So I'll kind of hold you at my mercy here. But it's, uh, you know, it's kind of, a, kind of a gloomy, rainy day. And so I thought I would maybe end with kind of a funny story, just about persisting in the Holy Spirit. And the more I think we talk this way, the more I think the parable of Jesus just becomes part of who we are. But, you know, I'm no better than anybody else when it comes to feeling the presence of the Spirit. And the other day, I was at HEB because, I don't know, I see all these commercials with J.J. Watt, and I think he's a stud, and so I go to HEB. That's a great reason to go to H-E-B, isn't it? So I, I'm in the one where, I'm in the one, it's off of uh, Kirkendall, you know, and, and Woodlands Parkway right there. And, um, and I'm, you know, I'm just, um, in, in my marriage, I'm the cook because we eat much better when that happens. Yeah, I could talk about that, but I probably shouldn't if I want to have lunch today. Uh, so I'm in H-E-B, and I'm, I'm just doing the shopping. You know, it's a quick run, and I've got a few things, but it's a, it, the store is crowded. And so, you know, when I, when I come up to check out, there's, there's a line. So that means I have to wait, yeah. Which, in today's culture, I don't know what you do, but if I'm in a position where I have to wait, I instantly reach in my pocket and what? Pull out my phone. Yeah. Because in the last 14 seconds, I'm sure something very significant has happened in my life that I need to know right now. I, I am on Facebook and Twitter if you would like to like or follow me, FYI. So yeah, I'm just sick that way. I'm sure you're not, but you know, so I'm pulling out my phone because I have to wait at HEB and I'm standing there and 
all of a sudden I, I feel that, hear that voice, you know, and uh, the Holy Spirit doing its thing, and, and, the, <laughs> and the Holy Spirit says to me, put down your phone. And I'm like, I don't want to put down my phone. I'm not putting down my phone. I want to check in with these very important pieces of information that are going on right now. That's what I have to do. And so finally, again, you know, I get this nudge and says, put down your phone. And I'm like, no, you're not. I've got followers on Twitter and I need to know what they're doing right now. Sorry. And so finally, you know, Jesus gets a little sterner. He says, put down the phone. I'm like, okay, okay, okay. Put down the phone. So I take the phone, stick in my pocket, and I look up. And in front of me is this very pregnant woman who has a toddler seated in her cart, like about two and a half, I'd say, and an enormous uh, cart filled with food. So what's, what's, what's happening is, is, is that she's, the toddler's kind of restless, and so she's, she's reaching out with one hand to kind of hold him down, restrain him, and then she's trying to reach around herself because she's extraordinarily pregnant, and I apologize for the metaphor, but I'm just reporting the news. She was enormous, okay? Like, going to give birth in 10 minutes, kind of. We're right there. And, uh, and so she's very pregnant, and she, she's trying to literally reach around herself and hold her kid, and one item at a time, place it on the belt so that she can unload this cart. And I see this, and Jesus says to me, what are you supposed to do? And I went, oh man, I am such a goofball. And so, you know, I, I, I walk up to her cart and the two-year-old looks at me like with this look like, are you creeping my mom? What are you doing? Like, <laughs> get back, dude. I don't know who you are, but you don't belong here. <laughs> and so I, I reach up my hand to like high five him and all of a sudden he goes, bam. So it's like, okay, I'm good. I'm past the kid. And, uh, and so I just go up to her and I say, I'm, I'm sorry, but would you, would you let me help you? And, and, um, I ask, and she just, she stops and she just starts to laugh, you know, cause I think she senses kind of the ridiculousness of it all really. And she, and then she says, please. And so I said, thank you. And so, you know, we start to unload the cart and it goes much better. And they sack up her groceries. She pays and, and walks on her, her day and. Then I'm checking out. And, and the guy behind the register, you know, who's, he's got like these huge piercings in his ear. He's tattooed all up on one sleeve and secretly I'm kind of jealous, you know. I'm like, dude, that rocks. <laughs> and he, he looks at me and he, and he says this. He said, thank you for doing that. He said, thank you. He said, I watch people all day long and we are all so busy. And he says this, it's amazing to me what we do not notice about each other. And then he said, what do you do? And I said, are you law enforcement? Why do you ask, you know? (laughs) And I I said this, it it kind of backed away from it. I said, you know, it doesn't matter what I do, but what I do know, and this is what I told him, is that if we have our, our eyes open, it's amazing the good God 
will let us do. You know? Jesus needs that witness at HEB. He needs that witness in his church. He needs that witness at Children's Safe Harbor. He needs that witness everywhere his people are. Wherever you are, you've been sent. You know? And if you persist, you'll know why. What I hope and pray for my life, and what I hope and pray for yours, is that the older I get, the more and more it'll be less about time and more about moments. You know, because when I feel the presence of the Holy Spirit, I'm so encouraged. When I see the kingdom being built, I think it's so awesome. When I, when I see the tiny seed that Jesus talked about becoming a thousand times more, I go, wow, look at that. The mountain is being moved. Wow. Moments like that keep me going and help me know the kingdom is being built. So maybe as we think about, as we close this morning, just think about what is it you're persisting with right now? And I'm just going to pray for us that Jesus would encourage us, that we don't give up. We, like he said, keep praying and understand that that moment will come. And when we see that, let's celebrate it for the joy and victory that it is. Thank you so much for letting me come and worship with you this morning. It is such a gift of me to be here or to me for be here. So please know that I am praying for you all the time. And, uh, and let us close our morning together in prayer. Jesus, we simply ask you would bring your spirit just once again as it's been here all morning up on this place. A double shares, your word would say. And we just pray for, especially every heart that feels conflicted this morning about some struggle. Maybe we've been beaten down by that this week. I pray, oh Lord, that you would encourage us to stay strong, to keep going, and to know that a victory is always ahead. Let us not be people who wilt in the heat of the day, as your parable would say, but rather to stay the course. Maybe we're somebody who can be a courager to one another, to reach out to someone who's struggling. We can be that person that says, you know what? I know, I understand, I'm with you, I'm praying for you. If that's our role, O Lord, let us step into it with joy and gladness. Maybe we're somebody who's experiencing the victory today. Jesus, that's so awesome. Maybe we've really forgiven now. Maybe we're going to step forward into that call that we've been hesitant about for whatever reason. But help us to know the persistence, O Lord, that this widow in your word had. For this is one of the keys to your kingdom. And if we're willing to develop a persistent heart, it will unlock the doors to your kingdom and we will see you at work. All of this, we give praise to you in the name of Christ our Lord. And as God's people, as followers of Jesus Christ, we respond by saying together, Amen.